Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And I'm very self-conscious because you just told me that my microphone is really loud, <laughs> and um, I don't want to, you know, you can You can fix your it in post-production. Out. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, and we are, uh, we are lying to you that we have not taken a walk today. I am... Um, uh, not we're on zoom and I am out of town this week. So, which is what is astonishing me actually in a great departure of, um, expectations. I'm in Kentucky visiting my family, which is really nice given, um, just a really beautiful and intense summer. And so it's nice to be away. And I was, um, visiting some family who live on an actual, on an actual farm this morning. And I'm not, as we've covered, really a nature person. Um, <laughs> but um, I just, I forget until I come back here how beautiful Kentucky is. And um, it was really nice to be sitting on a front porch just watching the fields. And it, it is cool here as well. And it was just really beautiful. And I had one of those moments that apparently the rest of you have all the time when you're like hiking and water sporting and camping of just being like, gosh, um, this is so, it's so beautiful. And it is such a short line uh, between noticing the beauty of this space and the beauty of God and just being aware and grateful of um, just goodness in the world and it was um, a lovely moment and I just was practicing that spiritual discipline of noticing and being astonished at how much more beautiful it is than it has to be or than we would expect it to be and it was um, really nice so that is what is astonishing me today what about you well you know I'm not a huge a sports fan, but I love it when uh, sports display something uh, beautiful or good or heartwarming uh, about humanity. And I got home on Sunday and um, I was on the couch and turned on the Olympics. And I don't know if you saw it, uh, but the story about the two high jumpers. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, Mutaz, I didn't see Issa, it. Basharam of Qatar yeah. and Jamarco Tambiri of Italy. You didn't yeah. see the, did you see the story? I didn't see it. Oh, I did what I love to do, which is, I don't want to watch sports, but I quite enjoy reading about them afterwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm really, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, I was watching it and, you know, the moment when the official said that they could share the medal. Which was their, their idea. Which like was they, their idea, right. yeah. And uh, apparently, they've known each other for a while, long time. They've been competitors. Um, they are friends, I think um, it said. And um, when it was um, said that they could share the medal, their joy, their embrace, the emotion, um, the Italian, uh, Tambiri, he's he's on the track, just crying. And I am, I'm almost always moved by grown men 
crying because of joy. Um, I there's for me, there's just almost nothing better than that. Um, and it was just a really beautiful moment. And the man from um, uh, Qatar, um, Basharam, he goes up into the stands and apparently he's hugging trainers and family. And that's also really emotional. It was just a really beautiful moment. And um, I love that they had such joy in each other's accomplishments. I mean, even before it was... Um, told them that they could share the medal. They were like congratulating each other um, because the Olympics was uh, bringing out the best in, in both of them. And they're like, oh, good job, good job. I mean, they were really yeah. um, uh, happy for one another. Um, and another thing it reveals is that, you know, your competitor doesn't have to be your enemy. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, and I haven't read a lot about this, but I imagine, at least in America, um, but there are a lot of people who are really annoyed by that story. Who oh, are a absolutely. lot of people who think that, you know, these, these people betrayed the whole concept of sport or whatever. And I, I mean, I do think it's such a great, um, metaphor illustration of the kingdom, right. Of, mm -hmm. and just that idea that out of friendship culture shifts, right. And that these norms really, um, I'm still reading that book, um, The Patient Ferment that we talked about before. And one of the things that he talks is, about is the verticality of Roman of the Roman Empire, just this whole idea that that culture is normed around um, a vertical that, you know, there are some people at the top, at the pinnacle, and everyone else sort of gets in line. And the further down the chain you are, the less important and valuable you are. And, um, and I mean, and not in a terrible way, but like, you know, in sports, the whole point is there's a winner and everyone else is a loser. And if you're in second place, you know, as they say, as a joke, which is not really a joke, it's second place is first, first loser, loser, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I love this idea that these two friends out of their friendship grew this sense to want to change this norm that is so ingrained that, um, you know, that we don't even almost understand that it could be a different way. And again, like the backlash against it, I think is really predictable and interesting too, just to observe that, yeah, the kingdom is offensive to people who are invested and really believe in the world as it, as, as it is. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great story. Yeah. Relationships in which we make each other better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just a, a culture where, you know, that's shalom, right? Like mutual flourishing, right? So that's beautiful. And I think, you know, the world is divided into two camps, people who would say, oh, this is what I love about sports, or people who would say, this is a betrayal of everything that I love about sports. And it's just interesting to watch that play out. And I do, that's what I, I don't care about sports, but I'm with you that I think it's really interesting that they become this place where being human you, you can watch people be human. You can, you can see how humans handle struggle and defeat and victory and challenges mm -hmm. and, you know, anyway, the whole thing. So, yeah. So well, what are you thinking about? Well, um, we were talking about- As if I don't know already. No. <laughs> um, so I was driving down to Kentucky yesterday or Monday with my, some of my kids and, um, 
so it was a perfect opportunity to be listening to podcasts. And my friend, um, Cedric Lundy, had recommended a podcast put out by Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, and Mars Hill is a megachurch, was a megachurch founded, um, the story goes, founded by a man named Mark Driscoll, who is sort of a, a famous slash infamous preacher who really was um, just um, revered um, in especially, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, was just um, seen as a, you know, culture shaper, change maker, just brilliant. And um, a lot of that was was self-proclaimed. Um, and um, he he started this church in Seattle that quickly grew into a mega church. And um, then he he was a man who who really believed in the hierarchy, who believed in the verticalness of the kingdom of God. Um, and in a, I mean, I would say a benign and holy patriarchy. I think he would say that that just. God is first and then Jesus and then the Holy Spirit and then men and then women and then children and then unbelievers. Um, and, and sort of that was, um, he preached um, that gender role, traditional gender roles would set everyone free and make everyone happy and joyful. And, um, and, you know, in, I think he was in Seattle or Portland. I mean, that was quite a countercultural message. Um, and, and so anyway, the podcast just, um, is talking about how the church, uh, was started and, and really asking a question, which I appreciate a lot, which is, um, you know, Mark Driscoll, I don't like this word, but has been, some people would say he's been disgraced and, you know, he has, but he has been fired. He, uh, you know, and the podcast is not about Hey, look at what an awful person this is. Correct. And you know what it is asking is, how is it that a community that in so many very obvious, in no ways subtle um, ways, grew to be so large and so attractive to so many believers? And what is it about the body of Christ that we are again and again drawn to these? strong men um, who who basically say, come here, not basically, who say, come here, listen to me, do what I say, and you'll be close to Jesus and challenge me. And literally, it, he would call, he would accuse people of heresy if he felt that they not only disagreed with him, um, but that if he felt that they were disrespecting him. And, you know, there's all kinds of clips of him saying, you know, that his church was a bus and you could be on the bus or you could get run over by the bus. And he talked about, you know, um, how he would, he would, you know, beat, beat people up. And he, I mean, he really, um, and it's so interesting. We've talked a lot about redemptive violence and how, you know, we believe the way that we read scripture is that the gospel is this, um, this huge rejection of the human myth of redemptive violence, that there is no such thing as a violent act that can redeem anyone like that. Uh, and, and, but he really preached redemptive violence. He preached, I am going to, I'm a good guy who is going to beat up and destroy the bad guys on for Jesus. And um, so I, I've, I've just been listening to it and I've been astonished and there's, there's, so many interesting things to talk about. 
Um, but the but the one I like the most that I want to lift out, and we talk about this a lot at the Grove. Actually, we have a leadership training um, pattern, um, which we haven't done since COVID, but we call it the way. And the idea is that we understand at the Grove that it's not just that certain things need to happen, but the way they happen matters. And that you can do something like have a community meal, but if in your understandable desire to prepare a meal and serve lots of people, if in your un, if you're in your good energy and desire to do that, you treat the people who are working with you like crap or you shame or blame people who are coming in to be fed, even when you very sincerely feel that they deserve it. When you when you do that, then the ministry itself um, is is deeply damaged. So, um, and we talk a lot about it's not just what we do that matters; the way we do things matters. And I think what's so interesting about Mars Hill and and phenomenon of other not just mega churches, just parts of the body of Christ in general, is that a lot of times we think like, well, if we do Christ like things, so if what we're doing is feeding someone or housing someone or, um, you know, getting someone to know who Jesus is. We just need to get that stuff done. And however we do, it doesn't matter. We just, and, and honestly, and we think, we say, if you need to break a few eggs, if you need to threaten someone, if you need to manipulate someone, if you need to um, lie to someone to get them to do the right thing, be it get married or go to church or serve or leave, that, that's fine. You just, we have borrowed the ethic of the world, which is do what you have to do to make your will be done. And we say like, well, now my will is the same as Jesus's will. So I'm going to, and, you know, and that's what Mark Driscoll and not just Mark Driscoll, but the members of his community did and told themselves that he would, he would act in really harmful and anti-Christ ways, but the church was so successful and the spirit of the Lord really was doing things in that place. And so they would say, well, you know, if they dared to say anything at all, they would just say, you know, we just need to put up with it because what is happening here is important. And, and if this is the way it has to happen, this is just the way it has to happen. And I think we just need to have more maturity in the body of Christ that says, you know, if we, if we do all these things without love or in, in hate and despair, um, we would be better off not doing them at, at, at all. And that's, um, and I appreciate where the way the podcast says, this is not just about one bad dude with a power trip. This is about a whole community of people who not just enabled him, but, but were drawn to him because of the way that he did things. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested in all of it. And I'm grateful to Cedric for, um, bringing it to my attention. And now you're listening to it too, right? Yes. You mentioned it to me and I started listening to it and it is really good, very compelling. And one quote that comes to mind, um, the journalist uh, that's narrating the podcast said that um, for many of these leaders, their abilities took them where their character couldn't keep them. That was so powerful. Well, and our friend Lisa Kuhn says that too. She said, like, we assume, we see a deep anointing on someone, a really powerful anointing, and we think, oh, they must be really mature, and I should follow them because I see the way that they preach or the way that they teach or the power of their prayer. That's a sign that they're mature, and I should follow them. And what Lisa 
taught me that was so revelatory is, you know, a person's anointing is not a sign of their maturity. And when you read the Bible, you go, duh, like David took out Goliath. That was a manifestation of the glory of God, not a sign of his character. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite example that I use all the time is the story of Balaam's ass, right? And we say like, God literally makes a donkey talk. That is what the spirit, and I just feel like, you know, clearly, I mean, to joke, but not really, like God makes donkeys talk all the time and preach and heal people (laughs) and lead churches, right? Like, so I think this idea of saying like, when someone is ministering, it's not them, it's the spirit of God working through them. And that doesn't mean we should despise them, but we also shouldn't idolize them because what is good comes from the Lord and, and we should be we should have a wisdom and a maturity enough to recognize that God, you know, whatever the rain falls on the just and the unjust a lot, that God's anointing always shows up in places that we don't expect it. And frankly, that offend us. I mean, it's last week we were talking with the kids about Jesus going to Zacchaeus's house. Like what is Jesus doing at the house of a man who would cheat and impoverish his neighbors? Because God shows up to people in their brokenness. And, um, we, we don't, we don't get that. And so I think the other thing that's great about the podcast, that's really, really helpful is to say, look, there was so much about that community that was so harmful and destructive. And, and that's not a euphemism and it really was and is, and that's not the only true thing about that community. People really were transformed. Mm -hmm. People's lives were changed. People met the Lord and came alive in Christ there. And, that's a hard truth to sit with because I want God to stay out of the lives of the people who threaten me. And I think, but any, anybody with who even cursorily does a cursory read of scripture will recognize that's not how God works. That, that when God moves in the lives of those who hurt us or, or that we consider our enemies, it's not to destroy them or to wound them. It's, it's to save them. And that, you know, the Lord is no respecter of persons. And I think you really, that's what I appreciate about the podcast is it really makes you sit with the idea that some of this was really not of God. And a lot of it really was of God. And just how much we are so obsessed with the cult of personality as Americans. Um, And that's really, I mean, we talk a lot, mostly privately about our egos and the way that we have to battle them all the time. And it just, um, it's a, it's a real thing. So, I've so been... I got connected to Mark Driscoll, uh, through, um, one of his books, uh, especially, um, real marriage. Did you like real? Marriage? No, not that one's his first <laughs> one. The like... one about, um, oh, how Mars Hill was started yeah. and he tells a story like there were, uh, there was this dying traditional church. And I think there were, two or three, maybe five senior women who would meet once a week to pray that God would do a work in that church. And that place eventually became uh, Mars Hill. And um, I was drawn to um, Driscoll because he combined reformed theology with charismatic Pentecostal theology, which is you know right up my alley. I was like, oh, here's someone who's doing what I want to do. And um, before the pandemic, uh, especially a number of years ago, 
had a practice of several times a year, I would just get in my car and drive anywhere between an hour and two hours away from home and just find the first coffee shop and spend the day there reading, praying, God, is there anyone you want me to talk to in this place? And so I went on one of those uh, prayer retreats uh, <laughs> in a coffee shop um, um, in the, the town of Belmont, which is not far from here, not mm -hmm. far outside of Charlotte. And I was sitting there reading a book from the Acts 29 network because I was thinking which maybe is, God was calling me into church planting. Right. Which is his network. It was yes. a network that he and his church founded. Yep. Yes. And uh, someone in that network, a leader in that network saw me reading this particular book and uh, came to me and invited me to some Acts 29 uh, events uh, here in the city of Charlotte. And um you know, immediately, you know, for me, it was, it was challenging because ethnically there were not very many people that looked like me. I think I saw maybe one, I uh, just kind of culturally, I didn't fit in uh, just in terms of like there's a certain generation of certain kind of dress. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nerdy, old school, khakis, button down kind of guy. And yeah, you know, which, which he explicitly hates. Like yes. he explicitly would say, yeah. you are not, you are not Too a nice. real man. He, yes. No, he would say, you are not a real man. You wear the wrong clothes. You just, right. You're talking to me. So that's all. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing with Mark Driscoll because the Presbytery of Charlotte for a, a minute actually worked with Acts 29. And I, and I didn't really know what it was. And I can remember a colleague of ours talking about how much he liked it so much better than the transformation pilot project. And now I look in and, you know, it is different than just, there are people who believe in complementarianism and I, I don't, um, but I, whatever people are, these people are not my servants. So I don't, but I mean, but he is different than a complementarianism and he is a misogynist. I mean, he explicitly yeah. preaches that women are objects who exist to sexually serve men, I mean, from the pulpit. So the idea that a huge part of the body of Christ just said, oh yeah, sure. And, and just glorifies violence. Like, I mean, not- MMA I, fighting not, was a big deal. Right, I mean, it's not a euphemism. I mean, literally talking about how he's going to, you know, violently discipline people. I mean, it just, so it's, it's so fascinating to me that just how easy it is for the enemy of our souls to convince us that God is made in our image, that what we love is God. That, I mean, I think you said earlier today, when we were talking about just to, to baptize our own imaginations. I mean, just, mm -hmm. you know, because he, he'll talk about, you know, churches that are, that he considers too feminine, that they sit around and sing love gay love songs to Jesus and worship a sky fairy, right? Like that, I mean, it's just so hateful and derogatory and just the the concept of shalom is offensive to him. And anyway, and it just is really hard that, you know, even a, a church like the Presbyterian church, which is sometimes annoys me at how self-righteously we sit in judgment on other people's theology, but at the same time, the lure of, oh, we can have big churches just like Mark Driscoll makes us say like, okay, well, yeah, this guy, you know, says horrific things about women, but we can, you know, we can look aside if we get 
the same kinds of results that he has. Like, I, I think that, I mean, pick your favorite white supremacist. I think when it comes to gender, he, his, his language is just as, just as dehumanizing mm -hmm. and, and just nobody saw any problem with it. Yeah. I started going to a couple of events and noticed that um, everyone was wearing flannel shirts, skinny jeans and had, you know, beards and um, I just didn't fit in. And so I, I didn't stay long in that community because um, clearly I didn't fit in. However, in retrospect, I could see that the very thing, the very real and I think true critique I had of that community was also in me. And again, we've talked about this, just being in ministry, being a follower of Jesus is going to challenge your ego. Yeah. And you've got some hard choices. Either you um, let Jesus by his word and spirit challenge your ego, or you <laughs> baptize your ego as the will of as the God. Lord. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's a very real battle for all of us, even for someone right. like me who, you know, my, my self-identity as a you know, nice guy, but that, that's a very real battle. Well, and I think, I mean, and that's one thing that's helpful about this podcast is to recognize that, you know, this is an extreme, I'm sorry, I'm not in my parents' house and apparently they just get phone calls all the time. I don't know if you can hear a phone ringing. I hope not. Great. A little bit. Sorry. Um, it just has not rung in the two days I've been here and it's rung four times since we've started recording this podcast. Um, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even, oh, I was going to say what this is, is an extreme manifestation of the kinds of spiritual battles that go on in every human soul, right? Yeah. Is mm -hmm. who is going to be king of our hearts? Will it be our ego or will it be Jesus? And Jesus calls us to the narrow way, which is about, I mean, and ironically, I was going to mention this too. They were talking about a conference that they were at in the late nineties called the ooze. And they were talking about how Mark Driscoll was there along with Richard Rohr. Right. And I just can't even imagine. I mean, I suppose it's a foretaste of the kingdom, like just two more um, diametrically opposed expressions of a Jesus lover than Richard Rohr, who, who talks explicitly all the time about ego death and, you know, dying to self and finding that. And then Mark Driscoll, who's up there saying, you know, I, I'm the anointed one. And I, anyway, it was. Um, well, and the podcast does a wonderful job of describing how we got to a place in this country where we are drawn to celebrity pastors, the, the, mm -hmm. the demographic shifts, uh, the, the place where, you know, you have these, um, uh, well, you have the need for leaders to cast vision. And in casting vision, when people follow and their success, that increases the authority of the vision casting leader, which also increases the temptation to be a tyrant um, mm -hmm. and, they just do a beautiful job of not saying, you know, this is, this is a Mark Driscoll problem. No, you know, it's this is a body of Christ, especially in America problem. Right. It's a human problem, but there are just mm -hmm. lots of things about our environment and America that make us more susceptible to mm -hmm. this particular spiritual disease. And, it, and it's really important 
you know, because it, it it would be easy, ironically, to um, feed your own ego in listening to this and saying like, well, I'm not like that, or I'm so much better than him. And that, you know, it's just, we, we are. Um, because what is haunting is that, you know, wherever he ended up. He is currently uh, pastoring a church, I believe in Arizona. Um, I've listened to one of two of his sermons since he's been there. Well, I just mean, however he, however, whoever he became, Got it. he started out as a person who loved the Lord and wanted to serve him. And that's, you know, why it's really important that we pray, lead us not into temptation every Sunday, because we just, you know, and the thing that we don't, we don't want is, you know, God save me from disease. God save me from um, poverty. God save me from disgrace. But, but the things that are more spiritually dangerous for her, for us are wealth and fame and acclaim and the honor of, of other people. Um, and that's, you know, those are the problems we want to have and they kill us. Yeah. I was driving back from Georgia on Monday, listening to, uh, Scott McKnight, uh, Northern mm-hmm. Seminary is a podcast called uh, Kingdom Roots. I believe that's the name of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode called, um, I believe it's Nine False Narratives. It's nine false narratives that churches believe, especially when a leader is found to be or accused of misconduct. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those narratives is that the leader is the victim. Yeah. The, the, the perpetrator is the victim. Mm-hmm. And you see, and you see that in the Driscoll situation, but it's a, it's a temptation for all of us to defend. I, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I also just think well, it is, I mean, obviously a leader is responsible, but, but what I also think is helpful is, you know, we, we get the leaders that we pick and, that we ask for. And so the reality is in real ways, maybe there are some very powerless members of the community. Maybe there are some people who are part of family systems. And so they literally didn't have any choice about whether or not they participated in the community. But, you know, there's a line in the podcast that I've been thinking about a lot that, you know, we become what we tolerate. And the reality is people tolerated a lot of abuse and and harm when it was directed at other people and when it was directed at themselves. And and then it became a very violent and destructive and harmful community. And we this is the thing about the the non-verticality of the kingdom of God. Like that you can't just say, well, the person on the top is responsible for everything. Like we have this mutual, interdependent, flat culture of Jesus is Lord and the rest of us are all servants. And so when somebody behaves in these kinds of ways and everybody else just does not have the um, wisdom or the courage or is not willing to make the sacrifice of telling the truth, um, then everybody bears some of the responsibility. Right. And you hear people in the podcast talk about like, I look back now and see what I laughed at and what I accepted and what I excused. And I am filled with deep shame that I participated and validated this culture um, and and what it did to people. So people should listen. But I just think the bottom line is our churches are supposed to look like 
the life of Jesus. And Jesus spent most of his life, he did not look cool most of his life. He was obscure. He was doing things that did not make sense to people. He sometimes was celebrated, but often was scorned and obviously ultimately was rejected. And so, you know, when we are constantly doing things that get us applause laps, uh, laps, like take a lap for applause because mm. people are celebrating what we're doing so much, then we really need to ask difficult questions are, you know, is this is this a moment because we're, we're feeding the 5,000 and just the sheer goodness of God is on display here? Or, or are, are there ways that we have made our church culture so closely identify with the secular culture that we're getting applause for not being distinctively mm. Christian and mm. um, maybe so. Uh, so what are, are you thinking about this too? Or are you thinking about something else? Like well, I'm that? thinking about something else, but um, it's not too far from it, uh, especially the quote you gave about um, you get what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. You become what you tolerate. You become yeah. what you tolerate. Well, um, I don't know if you saw the story out of Lumberton, North Carolina about Trinity Bethune. Did you see that story? Oh, yeah. I don't. I know Trinity Bethune, but I haven't seen the story about it. Well, um, a 21 year old African-American woman bought her first car with her own money. Oh, yeah. Uh, from uh, the Honda dealer there. And it's like, I believe it's the next day she went online and posted on their social media, quote, uh, Bonequisha, end quote, just bought her first uh, Wait, car. Wait, she didn't post that. No, the she car did dealership not. Someone, car. someone yeah. posted it. Uh, um, and um, it was a picture of her next to her new car. And clearly, you know, first of all, that's not her name. Clearly, it's meant to be um, a racial insult, specifically targeting Black women. And she said she was humiliated. Uh, she hasn't been able to drive this new car, her first new car she's ever mm -hmm. um, bought. And it, it is a reminder uh, for me that where you spend your money matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a sad, um, such a sad story and such a huge indictment of, you know, people who say we live in a post-racial society and this isn't real anymore to think. Of All how she did deep, was buy a car. Right. And well, and just to think of how, how deep the contempt is in that community that someone would not only think that, say that, but then post it on the social media account of the business. And that just the, how deep the contempt and lack of honor for the humanity of someone of a different race is that when this person is buying a car, which most dealers are working very hard to sell them, that you just wouldn't even, you, you wouldn't even care. You wouldn't even feel any, I mean, it's just really so, so devastating and so revelatory. And I think there'd be a lot of people who will say like, oh, well, you know, it was unfortunate, but it's not a big deal. She still has her new car. And I think, you know, it's really easy for people who've never experienced that kind of contempt directed at their humanity to sort of think like, well, that's unfortunate, but not a big deal, but not to understand the kind of mark that it leaves on your on your soul. On your and, soul, yes. Um, One of the things that I have been aware of since 
well, as long as I can remember being alive, is that when I step into a room, there is judgment because of ethnicity, and some people will automatically dislike, demean, think less than whatever. And that's just um, an awareness that right. one should not have to live with. Well, and I think even beyond that, because again, I think some people will say like, well, not everybody likes me too, so what's the big deal? The, the challenge is that, yes, if you're talking about buying a car, you can, you can in theory, you know, whatever, return that car and go buy it somewhere else. But what we're talking about is how deeply that contempt and dehumanization is in our culture, which means there are certain institutions that have a great deal of power over people. So, so to say like, oh, it was just a one-off in that car dealership. And just to make this assumption that, that those same people aren't functioning in the court system in the medical healthcare system, in the educational system, that you know, when that is visible in this scenario, then we as white people have to understand that it, as a person of color, you're going like, okay, well, that's just what I saw. So what, how, what's going on? What kind of conversation is happening in the teacher's lobby at the school where I send my kid? And what kind of conversation is happening in the break room at the medical office among the people who decide who gets what appointments or who or which What's happening at the insurance company when adjusters are deciding whose treatment is covered and whose treatment isn't covered? So like, yeah, it's a bummer if people don't like you, but most Black people I know don't really care if racists don't like them. What Black people I know do care about is being vulnerable to people who have power over them, life-altering power over them, who hold that kind of a philosophy. And knowing that you just don't know who's going to say, I'm approving her cancer treatment, but I'm denying his. I'm going to send that child back to class with a warning, and I'm going to put that child, I'm going to suspend and report to the local police. Like people, it's one thing if they're selling you your car, it's another thing if they are police officers and hospital administrators and, you know, educational um, authorities. And that, that's the kind of burden that people carry that is just so destructive. And um, it's not what we were, that is, it's a, it destroys the abundant life that we were given in Jesus. It's a, it's a crime against the image of God. Um, that we bear so so let's let's get some let's get to some good news in this podcast what what are you preaching this Sunday you know so so we had a conversation earlier today and I I mean I should have been astonished about this because I am so grateful for our friendship that I called you and was feeling tired and overwhelmed and I'm in a different space and so I don't have my same routines about preparing for worship and um, we had a great conversation in which um, I really was able to discern and perceive um, a direction for Sunday. So I'm really grateful. So I'm going to preach on three parables, actually. Um, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the um, pearl of great price, and the parable of the lost coin. And we're in a worship series on the mind of Christ. And I mean, related to everything that we're talking about, just this idea that we we are called to renew our minds in Christ, that we we are supposed to be, and you said earlier, and I'm going to quote this in the sermon, that you know, Christians are not just people who believe in Jesus. And even they're not just people who, who follow Jesus and try to imitate what Jesus does. Christians are people who 
allow their understanding to be shaped and transformed by the mind of Jesus. And so what I think is great about the parables is they are um, almost um there are there some of them are just nuance proof that that they say what they say in such an unavoidably clear way that they um we have trouble not understanding them but we experience this cognitive dissonance because we cannot integrate them with our the understanding of god and salvation that we sort of showed up to faith with right like they just we go like i can either integrate the story, the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven comes like the mustard seed, or, um, or I can believe that the kingdom of heaven comes like, you know, a mighty army arrayed for battle, destroying everything. But these two things, you can't integrate them. It's, it's one or the other. And so you just have to sit with, well, who do I believe Jesus or Mel Gibson, right? Like what, like what popular culture, I shouldn't say Mel Gibson, I should say Tim LaHaye, right? Like that's this really challenging thing to say, Jesus exposes, reveals his mind to us in a way that goes, oh, that's how Jesus sees the kingdom. That's not how I see the kingdom. And then I have a choice to make. Am I going to try to think like Jesus or, or like hold on to my own um, preconceived notions? So I'm excited about preaching, um, and just the idea that um, in those parables, Jesus is centering um, what is what is hidden, what is lost, and what is small, and that these things are are um, centered in the kingdom of heaven. And so, for people who believe that the kingdom of heaven is here and among us, we are we should be centering those things too: things that are small, things that are lost, and things that are hidden. And and what is that like? So I'm really excited. And what a, what a great word. What a great word in light of what we were talking about in terms of abusive church leadership. Right, right. right. Well, and that was one of the things, honestly, listening to that podcast helped me sort of have the context of saying like, oh, what is it about these parables? You can't, you can't center the values of these parables and create the kind of celebrity, abusive, violent culture and successful, right? I mean, as people measured success by numbers and dollars it was successful. You know, if you, if you center these parables, you've got to start, um, when we talk about the difference between success and faithfulness, but you know, you have to start, um, counting, describing success in different ways. So I'm excited to preach and I'm super grateful for our friendship and just uh, the way that having a conversation well, with you often. <laughs> let the record show. It's easy to be the friend of a self-aware extrovert. Because basically, you say two or three words, and you just work it out verbal. I mean, you you do the work. You just you just need I'm, I'm a, a context processor. to process. Yeah. So yeah. No, but all it, I but did, it's great. All I did was say, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, that sounds no. good. But what about? Bam. No, yep, that was it's, it. It's really good, and um, I I will I will share the preaching gold medal with you. Any day. <laughs> oh, that's great. Any day. Any day. What about you? What are you preaching about? Well, um, I'm looking at Psalm 27. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, our congregation is really struggling um, in this season, post-pandemic, or as we still rebuild our new normal, um, because one, 
quite a few of our family members have not returned, may not return. Um, Others are choosing to leave for, um, you know, not necessarily bad reasons. Some people retire and move away, right? right? And so there is anxiety in the air. There's fear um, because of loss and change and uncertainty. Well, and can I just pause for one second to say, I mean, in light of everything we've been talking about, you are not a pastor who believes, like you have discerned a vision and a mission for this church in this season I think I think very faithfully, but you are not a pastor who believes that if somebody isn't called to this mission, they're they're outside of the will of Christ, right? Like you are a person Correct. who recognizes that this church is called to this mission in this season, and and everyone who loves God and who is loved by God might not be called in this next season with us, and that's not a shame or blame thing, and it's not about people being better or worse. It's just about recognizing that not everyone is called and equipped for every mission of the body of Christ. And so some people might be leaving in your community just because it has been the place where God called them in previous seasons and God is calling them to be somewhere else in another season. And that doesn't require scorched earthing things on the way out or blaming or or victimizing anyone. It can just be a matter of we've been journeying together for these seasons and now the Lord is calling us to different things and it's all, it's all good. Yeah. Um, And I don't, I don't believe the tra- the 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 past, the recent history of the church is trash, right? It's not that Correct. people were bad and now I'm trying to get them to be good. No, what was for the church, for the ministry then was for the ministry then. And God is calling us into new things now. And so there's a shift happening. Mm-hmm. And if you're called to be a part of this thing that God is doing, great. If not... We will hug you on the way out and say, God bless you. We know that the Lord is going to call you someplace else and um, use you in wonderful kingdom ways there. So no judgment from me. Right. There's there's not just one way to be faithful. Correct. Yes. Um, and yet there is anxiety because beloved people mm. are leaving and resources are less. And again, the future is uncertain. And so uh, people are afraid. And I really want to speak to that on Sunday because I am, I'm feeling a surge of, you know, the Bible says that um, Jesus set his face like Flint to go to Jerusalem. Like it, and it's got to be the Holy Spirit because I'm feeling this surge of, hey, listen, we are going forward. Um, I can't tell you exactly how this is going to turn out. Things may get smaller, things may get more difficult before there's a turnaround, but we must have courage. And that courage is not something that we can create within ourselves, that it comes from a trust in God. There's an African proverb that says, when a tree has deep roots, it doesn't need to fear the wind, right? And yeah. so we're going to go deeper into Christ. We're going to have our roots go deeper into Christ so that at the end of the day, uh, there's, a, there's a place in the Psalm, in Psalm 27, where David says, um, one thing I ask, 
just one thing, like mm-hmm. of all the stuff he's going through, that I may dwell in the house yes, of the Lord, Lord. and behold Forever. the beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, okay, David's saying, okay, look, I may lose everything else, but if I still have God at the end of the day, the reality is I have everything I need. And so I just want to remind the church that at the end of the day, we want to be faithful. We have Christ. If we lose everything, we haven't lost everything. If, right. if our worst fear becomes reality, which for most people, let me put it out there, for most people, it's, okay, we can no longer keep the church open, right? If that's, well, you know what? We can say we've been faithful and we have Christ and he has a plan, he is sovereign and will send us other places. But what we cannot do in this season is allow fear to cause us, to lead us into disobedience, fear to lead us away from the mission. To say, right, to allow fear to dictate the mission, to just say mm-hmm. the reality is we there are lots of things about this we can't control and we accept that. Um, but what we do have the power to do is to be faithful for as long as we have the ability to be faithful. That we have abs- like we're we have absolute ability to be faithful for as long as we can be faithful. And that's all that God asks of us. And whatever the outcome of that faithfulness is is above our pay grade, right? Like that's, and so doing that sort of reorientation that like, obviously there's lots of energy and anxiety and care and love and concern about the future of this particular congregation and everybody has it and you have it too. And you all have hopes and dreams and desires and opinions. And there's not, there's nothing bad about that, but ultimately we have to reorient away from the future of the individual um, congregation and be reoriented like you're reorienting people in the sermon to the one thing I ask for, which is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold the beauty of the Lord. And that is the one thing we already have and can't lose. And when, when that's our orientation, then we can walk and we can take, we can joyfully take great risks knowing that what we're risking is not what's at stake, right? That what's ultimately at stake has already been eternally given to us. And that's what we need. Um, I think this week I may finally get a chance to tell in the context of a sermon, (laughs) my favorite Kate Murphy story, right? About you um, among the trees in your yard as the the grove is going through transformation process and at a place where it's not clear if the church is going to continue <laughs> or not. The problem is, the problem it was very clear that it was not well, going to continue. That was the problem. Like that, you, that my sight, it was done. It was over. Yeah. Yeah. And you were on this rock, large rock in your yard and it's rain. It starts to rain. Right, like I had, dri- and, I had walked my daughter to kindergarten and then I had walked home and I was really depressed hmm. and, and I was really just overwhelmed and sad that we had sacrificed so much and been as faithful as we could. And it was all for nothing because the church was going to close and it started to rain. And I was like, of course it's raining. And I just, I, cause I had been sitting on the rock praying and then it started to rain and I was just like, you know, whatever. And I just 
it's a huge, like it's a huge flat boulder. And so I just laid back on the rock and it was raining on me. And it was just the most pathetic moment. But in that moment, there's this surrender. It's like, okay, God, if, if this is the end, you know, get glory for yourself. I'm going to be faithful to the end. Right. And there you go. I was saying, you know, how how can this be? This church is going to close and then I'm never going to get I'm never going to pastor again. Like nobody's going to be like, saw how you slipped on that church. Come, <laughs> come right. lead our church. And just how sad I would be and how worship would feel so painful to me, like salt in the wounds. And I, and it was in that moment that I really had this moment of hearing from the Lord that, and a revelation that that, you know, I started a ministry journey because I loved Jesus and wanted to follow and heard a call into ministry and obeyed out of trust in God, not because I wanted to be a pastor and then discovered how much I loved it, but that was not. And, and in that moment, realizing I might, I, that's true. The church might close and I might never be a pastor again, but that doesn't mean I can't be a disciple of Jesus. And, Mm -hmm. and if I'm not interested in being a disciple of Jesus, unless I get to be the pastor, then something is really warped and wrong. And it was in that moment of realizing that God doesn't owe me a pulpit that just then I was freed from like, okay, whatever the outcome is, I know. I, and you know, your feelings catch up with your understanding. So whatever the outcome is, I know that the most important thing is not at stake, which is no matter what happens, no matter what job I have or don't have, I can follow Jesus. And that is the core of who I want to be in this world. So that was so freeing, not because, not because after that moment, I thought like, oh, I know everything is going to be okay. I did not think everything was going to be okay. I thought that even though it wasn't going to be okay, I would be okay because Jesus would be life, abundant life for me. Um, And Jesus could do that. So that, yes, but the the rock and the rain, the surrender story, you should. It's my favorite story. (laughs) Well, let me never be confused, accused of not being dramatic. It was a very <laughs> dramatic, dramatic moment. So anyway, well, we've talked a lot. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, if you want to find out more about what the Lord is doing at Dorida Presbyterian Church, D-E-R-I-T-A, Pres in Charlotte, North Carolina. I thought you we were going to start rapping for a minute. That- Nope, never, never, never. I've got lots of issues, but that will never be one of them. Actually, have you listened to that part in, have you gotten to the part in the podcast where they are at at Acts 29? Have you seen, have you heard that part? They're at an Acts 29 conference and this guy who is totally a white guy. It was, it was, it was the Southern Baptist convention. He stands up and does this rap, air quotes, um, and it's all like this, homage to mark driscoll who he calls papa d it it is the worst thing a piece of cultural appropriation i've ever seen in my entire life it is just it is so wildly inappropriate it's hysterical anyway i thought you were about to break out that is you about to bust a rhyme i was like that will never ever happen um i've got issues but that's not one of them Whatever. If you all want to find out more about Dorita Press, you should. You should check out our website, doritaprez.org. 
and you can um, worship with Dorida on their live stream, which is on their Facebook page. You can uh, listen to Yolanda's previous sermons on their Podbean iTunes, uh, Podbean website. Look for the Dorida Press podcast. I'm going to get it out. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, you can worship with us in person or on the live stream at 10 on Facebook. And also our YouTube channel is up and running these days, The Grove Church. And our podcast is on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, The Grove Church Podcast. So thank you all for listening to us and we will talk to you next week.